All right. Here we go. Welcome to the Gray Zone. I'm Zach. I'm Alistair. All right. Name hasn't changed. No. I do feel, though, I I wanted to make a point right off the bat of trying to be better with the name thing, because I feel like you were were low-key upset with the way that I went about the name thing last week. So I feel like I should get a reward. Yeah, no, I genuinely wasn't. Uh, I, I I feel so cringy with uh, introducing myself or anything like that. So you hey, can, you're doing you can a good job with it. Whatever you want. I have some bad um, news. Though. I have some bad news. Yeah. We're on episode four, which means I've officially used up any and all material that I have. So from here on out, I'm strictly piggybacking off of uh, your your thoughts. I genuinely thought you were going to say you've lost 50 bucks because you had a bet that it wouldn't make it this far. <laughs> that's, that's where I, I genuinely thought you were going with that. But uh, that's all right. I'm sure we can come up with something to talk about. Yeah, I was thinking I've been I'll try and mesh together a whole bunch of thoughts here, but it's uh, I'll tie it in with present events because I'm currently at Bolton, um, the under 14 tennis Europe uh, category one, the warm up for uh, Freddie Pizzizas in Tarbs. And um you know, I've heard good things about the the club at Bolton. I haven't heard a ton, of course, but I've you know I've seen good stuff. But I it's uh, it's really interesting. I I always love visiting these clubs and being at these tournaments. And and my players can tell you I always walk around taking photos of things because I'm curious to see what what clubs put up on the wall, what posters, what quotes, what what paintings, these sorts of yeah. things. And they've got a huge on one of the walls. You know, the the building is split at you know, two banks of four courts. And on one of the walls, a huge thing that says "Own it." And this is their big, uh, let's call it a mantra, although I don't think it's really a mantra, but this is their big uh, statement is own it. And the, and each one, each letter stands for something. Mm-hmm. And off the top of my head now, I don't remember what they are, but I think, oh, the O is ownership. The N is no excuses. The I is inner uh, determination, I think. Okay. Uh, the T is teamwork. And I couldn't tell you what the W is. Okay. Um, but anyway, but they have sort of their five values all encompassed in this own it phrase. Um, and then on top of that, then I was looking and on the wall, there were like a bunch more posters, um, that sort of tied in with the values. And they were like, they call them like the performance standards, like the, the non-negotiables, this sort of thing, the behavior standards, whatever it was. And there were, and there were things like, uh, if I touch it, I make it, then I run for every ball. But then it was also like split step and wide base and, Hmm. uh, things like this. Um, and, uh, and it just got me thinking because I think, uh, you know, I've also been doing some reading and some reflection on leadership, um, and, you know, buy-in and what gets people to, to, to buy in and to embrace something fully. And one of the things that uh, tons of places talk about, especially in like corporate leadership, where so many of these articles and books are about, um, you know, they talk about values and like, you know, establishing your values and what are your employees values or your team members values, whatever you want to call it. What are your shared values? How do you, how do you demonstrate them? How do you model them? Um, and I think, and it, and it got me thinking because I wonder sometimes if, you know, there's so much emphasis. It, I think two things can happen and don't, and I've been guilty of both of these. I think two mm. things can happen. One is there's just so much stuff that it just it's people don't remember it. It's not okay. memorable because you've got you've, you've got your key phrase and you've got your five values and you've got your 10 performance standards and then you've got your yeah. team song and whatever. And it's like and it's just too much. Yeah. And then the other thing is that like going back to what we talked about last week in the last episode about the difference between knowing and doing like if some of it is is it sounds good and it's nice and then 
it just it doesn't get done on you know it doesn't get done it doesn't get done on the court at the end of the day for whatever reason um it's not implemented it's not the values aren't being lived um and uh, you know this maybe is me uh talking out of my ass a little bit but uh because i've never actually visited the supreme court the the wonderful facility that al miller runs um but i've heard tons of good things about it and just from you know what i've seen and what i've heard what from from you know, the players, your players who I've interacted with and seeing your interactions with them and then also seeing what goes on on social media, which of course is not fully representative. But seeing those things, I always got the vibe that there was a really nice culture at the Supreme Court. Um, you know, a culture of of uh, of of high performance, but also a culture of, you know, people first um, and and and, uh, you know, competitiveness. Uh, there's there's a good vibe and so i i'm essentially uh you know not saying anything or asking anything which is a good thing to mm-hmm. do but throwing it over to you on your thoughts on your thoughts on that and and, and what you've done to establish that culture at tsc oh, um and your thoughts on like values or uh principles or, or things like that yeah uh, i mean good question for sure i've got some other other thoughts too on just writings on the wall and everything else but yeah i mean i think one of the things i'm like I say all the time, there's certainly things that we could be a lot better at at TSC. But one of the things I am very proud of is is the culture in a sense of like specifically speaking for a high performance program. I really feel like, and I could be wrong, but of every athlete that walks through the door to train every day, I really feel like they have a good time. And uh, like personally, anybody who knows it looks me, that way. Well, that's great. Um, so I think anybody who knows me knows that like I, I do care a lot about development um in the same sense we are playing a game at the end of the day and i think it's really important that although we take things seriously and we certainly have goals that we want our players to reach if if a player is coming to the door and they're not enjoying themselves then what are we doing um now that's in the same sense it's not like i mean my right hand man jordan and i like it's not like every day our players have an unbelievable time because there's days where jordan is really cranky and there's days that I'm an asshole and I get that. But for the majority of the time, like we, we really do try to ensure that the environment is enjoyable. Um, and I think there's enough studies, studies would show uh, hashtag last week. Um, <laughs> but, but I think there's enough evidence to support that. Like if you want your program to be development oriented and you want your players to get better all the time, then they're, they're going to have an easier job doing that in an environment that um, allows them to a enjoy themselves and, and, B just gives them the freedom to sort of speak freely. And I think those are things that we, we're really trying to do. Um, now, what was that by design? I, I'm not sure. Um, mm. But it's, it's certainly been like, it's also, it, it's also just generally quite enjoyable for, for us to go to work and work with the kids. Cause it, it is fun. Right. Now a, a downside of that is my, my mind rambles a little bit here is I think sometimes it's been a bit of a detriment when it's come to attracting some players sometimes, and by which I mean like you and I have spent a lot of time with um, provincial teams and and all this, or just even, even at ITFs. And when I'm at competitions with my own athletes, personally, like I, I am quite jovial. I, I do like to joke around a lot. I like to joke with the kids a lot. Um, a, cause it's in my nature, but it, it's also like, I think it's important for athletes to be um, relaxed before they compete and everybody has their own mm-hmm. individual I- ideal performance state, but, I sometimes wonder if that's viewed as being not professional. Um, 
by other players or parents or coaches. Um, mm. Now, that's not to say that I don't think I'd be inclined to change it if that was the idea. Um, but I don't know. It's, I don't know. It's, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I hadn't thought of that perspective. What I thought you were going to say was that you felt like maybe that had gotten in the way of the like intensity or like the high performance-ness of it. Yeah. Well, um, it, been, it, it certainly has as well, because then this is where I feel bad for our athletes sometimes where it's like, as much as I want to be fun, I want to be all those things. There's certainly times where when we, the first couple of balls that get hit, if players aren't engaged and active, then I'll snap and lose my shit. And it's like, well, mm. it, it's not fair for the athlete where it's like, well, what are you? Is it like, and so yeah. I would hope at the end of the day that the, the value is like, yeah, it's late. It, it's laid back. It's fun. It's encouraging, but there's still a standard where it's like, when we start, like we're starting, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And I think sometimes like, like I've, I've maybe been harder on players than I should be because it's my fault that the standard wasn't set for the vibe of that practice uh, earlier. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's also difficult. I think like you're for players are at that age where you're still figuring out what are the norms and, and what is expected of me in, in, in these settings and understanding that different rules apply for different settings you interact differently with people in different contexts and i think sometimes the the kids are still understanding that and that's part of the that's part of the process is for them to understand that you know what happens off court is different than what happens on court um but i do think yeah i mean i i do think it's important to 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 be clear with what your expectations are and i also think i've always said this and maybe uh, i'm not suggesting that you don't do this but i've always said like there's a huge difference between enjoyment and fun Right. And it's a very it's a very basic analogy. But, you know, fun is is, you know, a bag of chips in a chocolate bar and enjoyment is like a nice meal at a nice restaurant. You know, you 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 get a a sort of content, you know, a happiness from both of them. But one of them is more, quote unquote, fulfilling, like I said, a very, a very basic analogy. But that's the idea. And and so I'll always value enjoyment uh, much more than I'll value fun. Cause there's plenty yeah. of other avenues for fun and there's plenty of other moments where we can have fun. Um, right. but I do want practice to be enjoy. Uh, I do want practice to be joyful, right? Yeah. I do want people to enjoy it. Uh, yeah. it shouldn't, it shouldn't be, um, uh, something that we have to just get, get through it to get to the fun stuff. It should be inherently right. joyful. Um, but yeah. that doesn't mean it has to be fun necessarily. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a better way to put it for sure. Zach. And part of that, um, part of that as well which is like at what point is it is it on the player in a sense where if a player says to you they have this goal it's like how much should just their general intrinsic motivation um be the thing pushing them towards the session being enjoyable or even if it's Mm. like even if it's a really tough session like how much should an athlete just enjoy that because it's like very clearly going to be making them better you know yeah, um, but uh, but I think it, it it also comes too from the way you go about that, and, and like you said, the way you the way you interact with people, and I think those things can bring enjoyment as well. It doesn't have to be this this uh, sort of mature long term vi- view of like, oh, this sucks, but it's going to make me better, so I enjoy it. So I enjoy it. I think it can also just be, uh, you know, the the interactions you have with people and the fact that you're you know, you're, you're out there striking a ball and you're competing and you're with your friends. And like, I think, I think we can bring joy out of those things. Um, yeah. because I think it's, I think it can be tough for players to see, like to see the long term when you're, you know, 14 years old and to see, to understand delayed gratification and, and the, that certain things will reap their, you'll reap the rewards 
you know, years later is very difficult concept to, to get across to, to teenagers. So for players um, and coaches, right. Where that's something my my own coaching, that's something I struggle with a lot where it's, I I sometimes think of like having, being a contractor and just the idea of like, be like at the end of the day, whatever project you're doing, you see an end result. It's like, if you just ran out a a kitchen Mm. at some point, you see it's done, it's finished. And it's like, wow, that's cool. Now let's go have a drink or it's just that like, it's not always that in tennis and it's um i find that challenging and i think players find that challenging too which goes back to as well it's like when you every player in some in some aspect will have just a session where they're just not as engaged as they could be um right mm-hmm. and so like trying to outline to that player at that moment that this is the most important practice of their life because every practice is actually the most important practice of their life is difficult mm-hmm. you know yeah um, yeah i mean there was a story in uh, a book that I read. I think it was uh, called Practice Perfect. And um, oh, I'm going to butcher all the details now, so I'll have to do some editing. But it essentially <laughs> it essentially was uh, like, like uh, x-ray technicians or like uh, doctors who read x-rays and sort of yeah. their, how good they get at reading them or, you know, x-rays or equivalent, equivalent test results, scans, that sort of thing. Yeah. And, I'm going to, once again, I'm going to butcher it slightly, but it was along the lines of, uh, you know, they improve very rapidly, like when they're in training, let's say. Yep. And then as soon as they get on the job, they don't get better at all. Interesting. And the reason was that when they're in train, you know, when they're on the job, they, um, you know, they, they, they send out for a, they, they, they send out for a scan or they make a, they make a, a diagnosis or whatever. And then they get the results back like three months later. And so there's this huge feedback. There's this gap in the feedback loop, right? right? Between action and feedback. And so right. by the time the months have passed, they don't remember what, uh, they don't remember what uh, information they were processing when they made their diagnosis. Now they've gotten the actual test results. That was sort of along the, that's what it was about. It was about, you know, they, they make a diagnosis based on the information and then they get, they re, they receive the like true test results later and yeah. the, the outcome, the, the real outcome. And yeah. there's this huge ton- delay between that. So that by the time they get the results, they don't remember exactly why, what, what it was that affected their judgment and why they made this decision. So if they were right or wrong, they don't learn anything from that. Whereas when they're on the training, they make a decision and then boom, they get the feedback right away. They make a decision, right. boom, they make they get the feedback right. right away. And to tie it all back together is like, like you said, I think that's one of the craziest things about this job is that if you are, of course, if you're in it to like, a bit like you talked about the guy you knew who was counting how many feeds to make a dollar, like if you're in it for that, then of course you get instant feedback. But if you're in it for like making a positive impact on a, on a kid's life, you know, you're looking at a 10 year delay before you get that feedback, you know, yeah. like you're looking at a, a huge amount of time that has to go between your action and then finding out if you made that impact. For and sure. that's super challenging. Yeah. I think it's super, uh, you know, I think it can be worrisome sometimes when you're, if you, if you do really care about this to be sitting there going like, Oh man, I hope I'm doing the right thing. Oh, um, of course, of course. And then, and then also, yeah, I think it also, it prevents some coaches maybe from learning because they don't get that feedback instantaneously. Yeah. For sure. Um, sure. But I never thought of it from the player perspective, but it is very similar from the player perspective. I've always thought it's this funny thing that like so many of these players learn, will learn all these lessons and have matured so much by the time they're like 24 
they could have used all those lessons when they were 14, but like, yeah. you know, like if they could, then, you know, if their bodies were then ready to like go on and develop to be a professional tennis player from the, you know, to start developing at 24, they'd be, they'd be in such good shape because yeah. they, because they, they learn so much, but you're, you're learning on the job and getting that feedback later. Right. Um, yeah. It's super tough. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, with that said, mm-hmm. we, it's so funny how like we start talking about one thing like the the vision ideology or like just the mission statement of of a club or an academy and then it, it segues to the, the way that it did here um which is yeah. interesting but have you ever been to the rick macy center in florida no but i've seen all the uh i don't think i've been but i've seen all the the photos okay. and all the quotes and all that stuff yeah and that's the whole like when i was there this time last year with a couple of boys it was like like i love all that stuff i eat all that stuff up and i i like i I really appreciate clubs that have gone through the time of, of like writing down their values or writing down their mantras and stuff. Cause it looks mm-hmm. really, really cool, but it goes back to what you said at the start is like, well, how much of that is a marketing tool and how much of this is stuff that comes out every day in training? Like how much of this is reiterated to coaches and players about who we are as a program and as a club and as Academy. And yeah. I don't know what the answer is, but my feeling is that for most clubs, it's a marketing tool. Or like, again, if it's like, if this is something you really believe in and that you're really hyping, whatever, whatever it might be, like, if that doesn't come up in your training daily or a reminder, like weekly of like, what are the things that you value? Then what's the point of having it? Yeah. Oh, definitely. It's funny. I hadn't even thought of it as a marketing tool, but of course I think in some cases it is. I think a lot of places it's well-intentioned, but it's just, uh, but it just falls flat because like you said, people don't execute on it, but, uh, but I hadn't, but I, but for sure for a lot, for a lot of places, it's, it's a marketing thing. Um, but, but then, so when it comes to, comes to TSC and the culture that you've created, you know, was there any, was there, or is there any sort of thought process towards like, you know, I want this to be what we're about, or here's our mission statement, or here's what I'm going to remind our coaches and our players about, like, is there any deliberate, um, effort made towards culture? Or has it just come about organically because you're just such a natural leader? Oh, geez. Well, look at this thing. Yeah, it's uh, (laughs) checks in the mail for that that comment there, pal. Um, (laughs) Well, I I think I'd start by saying the whole vision of the and we're segueing away from stuff a little bit. But the whole vision of the club when we started it with the Supreme Court was that we weren't going to allow anybody to wear all white clothing. We're going to be the most affordable club. We're going to be a fun based club. We had speakers installed where the goal was to play music all the time whenever anybody was playing. And the overall goal, mm-hmm. and this is still printed on our website under our, either I think it's our mission or our, our vision, uh, is to essentially be a beach volleyball by, vibe in a tennis setting. Now, really? it, it turns out that I like that idea a lot more than members do. <laughs> <laughs> you read my mind. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so it started with that. And like we, we really have praised a lot or we've written on the website a lot that like we want to be this like laid back place where like you come and you play and let's not take things too seriously and at the start we really were that um and i think that segued a little bit to just how we operate with our performance program and and everything else however what changes is we quickly sold out our programs were quickly at capacity we started to have a lot of like any other club like we started to have to enforce a lot of things to ensure that people could play as much as they wanted um and so all of a sudden this this club that was designed to be laid back and and beach volleyball vibe we started to have to enforce so many rules it was like damn we're the same as every other club now you know what i mean so it's um yeah. but i think i mean that 
that idea or concept was certainly front and center when the club was being built or when the, when we were sort of taking over that location. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think as it relates to the performance part of it, I think that's a little bit more organic. But the other part of this, okay, now that I'm thinking of it too, is, uh, and I think back to like, as you know, I've spent some time with Josh Lapidat, who's um, uh, at University of Kentucky, mm-hmm. former national champion in Canada, was as high as 54 in the world, his uh, his last year of ITF juniors, and didn't play one single match. So I, I really believe that Lapidat had the chance to be a top 10 in the world junior if he was able to, healthy enough to compete in his last year juniors. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. When I had started working with Josh, um, because Adriano Fortivia went back on tour with Dennis Shapovalov. So um, Adriano had asked Eddie Moran, who's a great coach from um, Advantage Tennis International, and I to to look after Josh a little bit while he was gone, which I was really happy to do. I had a lot of boys that were the sim- similar age, so it made a lot of sense. But one of the things, I've mentioned this to Adriano, so I don't think I'll take this personally, but Adriano can be incredibly hard on players, um, like incredibly hard. And Josh's personality, in my opinion, is not one that responded well to people being very hard on him. Um, and I wouldn't say that he, it's not that he can't take it, but there's a difference. Okay, there's a difference between being demanding and being an asshole. Mm. And um, I say this with love and respect and admiration for everything that Adriano has done. But Age knows sometimes he borders on being an asshole as opposed to being demanding. Um, so one of the things that Eddie and I. Eddie Moran and I really tried to do with Josh was like, well, can he just enjoy training more? Like, can he just enjoy competing more? And I think like, I, I like, I think that really helped Josh. And I think his results because of that, because of the fact that hopefully he enjoyed training more and hopefully he enjoyed traveling to tournaments with somebody who wasn't going to yell at him when it didn't go well, because at the end of the day, like I know Josh isn't trying to miss. I know Josh right. isn't trying to lose. We're on the same page here. So yeah. by me yelling at him for those things, like what is that going to accomplish? Um, so I think that's also part of it where like I, I had I've had some success with players taking a bit more of a laid back approach. So I think that also influenced like how I how we as a club or academy like tried to treat players. Mm. But I also could be completely wrong. Like you might talk to like Jensen and Overall now, like and some of the boys I'm with right now, and they might say, I was an asshole. Like that guy's not laid back. <laughs> so I don't. I don't know what the the actual the actual answer yeah. is, but it's I'm, I'm, it's interesting being asked about it though, Zach. It's really interesting. No, oh, well, you know, at least I can contribute something. So what's the um, what's the at uh, KLTK? What's it like where you are? Because obviously you've 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 spoken so much about how you're really enjoying your time there. So what what is the culture like? And do you guys subscribe to mantras on the wall and everybody drinking the KLTK Kool-Aid to some extent. Don't you mean the Academy of Click, Al? Is that supposed to, last time I said click and you were you responded you said, with KLTK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said click and I said KLTK and I had two different Swedish coaches laugh and be like, wow, Academy of Click, that's so funny. They they thought it was really funny that you thought it was click. <laughs> okay. So yeah, you're, you're I mean it's four letters, Al, in all caps. So <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty clearly spelled out KLTK. I'm not sure how you got Academy click. Of click. That. Here we go. But, uh, but it's okay. I put in a petition to change the name, so we're good. Great. Um, but no, I mean, I think, I think what, um, I think what makes us, uh, what makes the, you know, there's there's good there's good aspects and 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 less good aspects of every vibe. But I think one of the things that's 
really nice about our setup is that we have a mix of different uh, personalities and styles of coaches. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've spoken on this, spoken about this on other, uh, on another podcast, but, um, but you know, my, my colleague Magnus is, you know, is, is more on, on, yeah, I think he's further, he's further on, on, he's on the same side of the spectrum that I am, but, but maybe a little further, but he's very, uh, you know, very, uh, player centered, player centered and, and, um, like you said, uh, you know, laid back and, and, and joking and asking the players and, and being sympathetic and what do you, you know, how are you feeling about this and that, um, and and then my colleague Rick is is on the other side of the spectrum where he's more demanding and I and I hope to anyone who doesn't know them that they'll take away the right things from this because I because I think Rick Rick and Magnus will know what I mean by this um, sure. but 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 Rick can be a little bit more demanding and in your face and let's go and 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 work, you know shut up and work um, yeah. and Magnus is a little bit more uh, on the other side of things and I'm more on the Magnus side for sure but I try to. To, to push myself to be somewhere in the middle um, or, or, or to, to know when to pull out which, which personality, so to speak, when yeah. and for whom. Um, but I think that's something, I think that's something that, that benefits us is that we have that mix um, because I think, you know, then we can sort of get a sense of, okay, maybe this player needs a little bit more of this. And I think also sometimes, you know, we can see, just by just by virtue of them interacting with different coaches, we can see how they respond and see what works best for them, as opposed to everyone being the same way and having the same personality. And then some players, maybe that doesn't that doesn't suit them really well. Um, and then they sort of they they fall through the cracks. Um, so I mean, I think that that's I think that that's one thing that we do well. And I think the other thing um, too that's worth mentioning is that even though it is. You know, people. You know, I I always feel funny telling people where I work because they, because it's, you know it's the, the Royal Tennis Hall. It's got yeah. this sound. It's got this sound to it. Um, but it's you know I think it's also the difference a little bit between European not to you know not it's not like I've been around all of Europe, but like but the difference between European the European idea of of a of a of a tennis club and like the North American idea, where of course some North American clubs, as we know, are, are I mean, are insane. You know, they're 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 huge and they're pristine and they're uh, you know, the the fees are enormous. And like you said, you have to wear all white and you have to do this and that, and only these people get in. And um, and it's very much not that. You know, it, it is right. It's a, it's a club, but uh, there's you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't have that feeling to it. It's very nice, uh, beautiful facility, very well run. Um, but it doesn't have the feel of being pretentious or exclusive. Um, and I think that helps with our vibe as well. Um, that, you know, the players, uh, the players and the players also don't, uh, have to be members, which is also nice. So you're not, um, so, so it is, it is very inclusive in that sense. Um, and, and the, and the Academy gets court time and resources and all that stuff, which maybe you otherwise wouldn't get at a private club. So I think that those things uh help <clears throat> pardon me i think that those yep. things help us in terms of the the culture and the vibe uh that we want that makes sense yeah and it, it's even this and i think it seems like you guys have a good mix i'm also not suggesting as i say in most episodes that like a, a like a light-hearted laid-back approach is the correct way because i've also seen a ton of players where i grew up around well sorry the Marina and Marco Stakusic grew up around me quite a lot in the sense where 
I never work with them or anything, but with a lot of my athletes were at the same events as their athletes and they're great players. Like Marina, Marina has a chance to be really, really su successful. And Marco as well, I think is getting some ATP points and stuff, but I've always like, I've always thought I would be a horrible fit for them as a coach because of right. just w what it seems like they're, it seems what it seems like they look for in a coach um, mm. is certainly not me. Um, and it's never, there's never been any conversations about them working with me or vice versa. But I just think it's 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 important to outline that it's like it, the the player the player has to be kind of on the same wavelength as a coach in terms of what what they're looking for, right? And uh, yeah, and, I, I, and yeah, I understand. It's like it's like a you know, it's like choices in wine or something, right? It's not everybody likes the same thing. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and different people respond to, uh, respond to different things. That was yeah. no, I mean, I, I definitely I think you made I think you articulated that well with uh, with your point on Lapidat. That was actually going to be what I was going to ask you is like, how do you it's interesting, actually, because you didn't work with them. I'm curious what makes you say that about the Stakusages. Like, how do you look at a player and feel like, OK, I think they could benefit from obviously you have the Lapidat experience to say, OK, this is what I looked at to say. I think he could benefit from someone being a little bit more laid back. Yeah. But how do you look at someone, maybe someone who's at TSC, who you've been working with and you go like, hmm, I think actually maybe they would respond better to some harsher coaching. Like, what do you look yeah. for to make that decision? That's tough. I don't, I mean, I think sometimes, and this is maybe a, a cheat answer, but sometimes it's a vibe, right? Like sometimes it's just like. No, kinda... really? <laughs> it's the vibe? I wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's coach six level stuff right there. Uh, Come on. <laughs> no, but I think sometimes you just get you get a vibe of like if if they're gelling with you and vice versa is one thing. But I think it's also sometimes like what what the player needs. Like, does the player need a kick in the ass? And is there a more suitable coach to give a player a kick in the ass? Um, so I, I don't know. I, I wish I wish there was one right answer for that. Um, but some players, if you give them a kick in the ass, they they quit. Yeah. So how do you like well, so the, the the cultural stuff in, impacts it a lot where I mean yeah there's there's a lot of eastern european culture that is very that can be very hard it can be very harsh um it can be very black and white uh mm. be very work oriented um and so generally or I think sometimes in those cultures players of that background they they can seek out somebody who shares those values uh right yeah where yeah uh, other place in the world now i think canada has a reputation of our of being too soft and i don't know if that's fair or not but that's the vibe i get just in general do you think that's the vibe you like the canada is too soft you get that vibe you mean well, like from people you talk I, to or i get that i get that vibe sometimes well okay i get that vibe a lot from eastern your parent eastern european parents saying like oh we're mm. too you, we're always too nice with the kids we're always too easy on the kids like well there's now uh, tons of regulations and laws centered around like <laughs> that. but trust um, me guys i'd be beating your kids if i could okay <laughs> so I, I don't know yeah it's i don't know it's just it comes up a lot in certification which is that's going to come up every time you and i chat because it's such a big part of what you and I do and believe in, but it, it was such a big part of certification of like, how hard is the kid working? Is there a high performance environment all the time? Could mm -hmm. you be harder on them? Could you push them more? Could you do that? And sometimes I feel like in Canada, as much as there might be this thing of we're too easy on the players, I think it's also easy for coaches to get lost in like pushing a kid too hard or like making a, making sure a kid is just 
over the top physical and sometimes it's a detriment to skill development yep there's certainly times where like i think it's more common to see players that struggle with rhythm and relaxation than there is to see players that struggle being intense that's so uh yeah that's so interesting and and, and also like uh, i mean yeah we could we could save it for another show perhaps but like also you know like intensity obviously isn't the only measure of how hard you're working right sure. and then also this idea i think of like long-term hard work versus short-term hard work yeah. in other words like okay the intensity you bring on court is one thing but then like how resilient are you to like three bad tournaments in a row how resilient are you to like being out with an injury how resilient are you to like a year and a half where your results weren't quite what you wanted you know like yeah, yeah. those sorts of things like that plays that plays a huge role in your in your long-term For long-term sure. success and For that's sure. and that's a very different kind of hard work in my mind yeah. Yeah. Now, a question for you, um, and I'm, I'm jumping back a little bit, but I think so much of the times that you and I have just have general conversations, like, like, and you're asking specifically about TSC. So I'm, uh, what's the word? Like, I'm doing a deep dive in my own thoughts about TSC stuff. But mm. my right hand man, Jordan, and I were, were like, most, most of his high performance coaching has been around me. And like, we, we talk all the time about stuff. And so I, I certainly think, he's had a massive role in who I am as a coach. And I think I've had a big role in who he is as a coach as well, but we're very, very similar in a lot of ways, not every way, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of similarities where I think in terms of building a program that can be great. But I also think sometimes I wonder like, do we see things too similar? Mm -hmm. um, and now a couple of months ago, we brought in um, uh, Bronco Stamanek, who's a, a coach three and has worked with a lot of national champions. And, and that's been awesome, partly because Bronco was my coach growing up. From the time I was 12 to 18, Bronco coached me. So it's no really, way. really fun to socially to, to work with him now. But one of the benefits to that has been like, Bronco is excellent, but he's also, he's quite different than Jordan and I. And that's been really, really refreshing where there's there sometimes on court, like most of the stuff we agree with, but there's certain things here or there that like we just, we would have a different way of explaining or a different way of a player getting getting a job done. And mm -hmm. I think... A, it's been really good to expose myself to that. But B, I think it's been really good for the players sometimes to not hear like sort of the company line from Jordan and I, you know? And you get to work with a guy whose name is Bronco. The best. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, you know, you can't underrate that. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not going to believe this. He drives a Ford Taurus. He drives a Ford Taurus. <laughs> he doesn't really, but. Ah, well. Was there a question mark at the end of that or were you? Uh... Yeah, sorry, th there was. It was essentially like, do you think too much similarity can be a bad thing? Yeah. Yeah, um, uh, the short answer is definitely. Um, you know, that was something that that uh, I think Larry used to used to believe a lot uh, out in BC, um, you know, because he and I were very similar. Uh, and then, of course, we had people like Loomer, who's, uh, very, you know, he and I are very similar. And so it was, you know, we we all had re you know relatively we were all relatively like-minded in our approach to coaching um and i think that can be really good for like team cohesion and unity of message but uh, a bit like i was talking about at kltk like we um there is there yeah there, there's there's different different opinions and different ways of doing things and it's good for the players and it's good it's so good to to keep you on your toes and to avoid like what do they call it groupthink you know like where right. we all start to just re we we get we get stuck in our 
stuck in our ways and we, and we, when we dig into our own sort of uh, perhaps flawed ways of thinking and we reinforce them with each other to the point where we just think that it's, it's the only way of doing things. Um, I, I, yeah, I think it's, I think it can be dangerous. Um, but I also think, you know, I, I think that when it comes to, when it comes to player, de- I mean, uh, you know, this, I think you would agree. And I think most people would, when it comes to player development, like you do have to watch out as well for like, uh, you know, the phrase is like too many voices, you know, yeah. like too yeah. many, too many different perspectives that, that are coming out of the player. Because I think one of the, one of the biggest, you know, one of the most important things that's maybe undervalued by players and parents perhaps is the value of like just doing one thing consistently until it's done. Yeah. Um, I, I think a lot of people view development as like, I go out and practice and just by virtue of being there and hitting, and maybe like we talked about being intense, <laughs> then by virtue of that, I'm going to get better. But of course, you know, you, you know, goals have to be smart or smarter to, 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 to quote Louie. And like, and so you have to be specific with what you're working on. And also, it's just like going to the gym. If I go, you know, if I bench, if I, if I, if I bench press today and then I do it again, two months from now, I'm not going to be stronger. You know, it has to be continuous, so to speak, or, or a dedicated effort in a, in a period of time that allows for improvement. It's the same thing with tennis. So I think that like, yeah, sticking, sticking to a handful of things and really uh, working on them in a specific way is key. And if there's too many different conflicting messages, then that can get in the way of that. Yeah. Um, I'm, well, how do you, I'm just rambling now, but no, no, this is, uh, this, is great. this is what I'm asking. But so how, how would you, okay. How would you as an academy or program know when it's time for a new message or as a coach, like I, I certainly have I've had feelings before with players where it's gotten stale, especially players I've been with for like three or four years. Mm. Like it, it's not necessarily that the information is incorrect by any means, but sometimes we bring in a couple of coaches every now and again just to audit things and to help out with players. And like Ben Armstrong does a lot of that with our program, which is great. Yeah, and so cool. like even just bringing Ben in, like he might say something to an athlete that has been the exact same message that we've been telling mm-hmm. the athlete, but he'll just, he'll communicate it in a way that's a little bit new or a little bit fresher. And it just reinvigorates the athlete's desire to do it. Yeah. But what's, yeah. what's tricky on my end, I guess, going back to the question is like, as a program, how do you know when you need a another opinion or another voice or a different train of thought. Yeah. I mean, I think like you said, like you can feel when it's getting stale. I think that's, I think that's part of it for sure. I also wonder too, if it's the sort of thing that you can't anticipate by like, um, like just programming it in. Like I've been reflecting over the last year or so on like uh, weekly on like my weekly planning. And I don't do this. I don't want people to think like, wow, that's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm defending and defending myself in case people think it's stupid, but like, I've been running through this idea in my head, um, of like, uh, I, I, I was so, so not even flushed out that I I have to think about it now, but it was something like the four S's or the five S's. I usually think the five S's for me, I don't know if, if you think of this too, I think of, uh, uh, what was it? Speed, strength, stamina, suppleness for flexibility and skill uh were the five s's in like the sort of physical realm and mine was gonna Dangria be like didn't make the cut what's that Dangria didn't make the cut <laughs> that's a different different system of s's um <laughs> but but i was thinking like it was something along the lines of uh spanish skills specific um and there was oh suffering that was the other one mm-hmm. and the idea was essentially like what if uh, you know it doesn't have to be one day of the week of course but like a part of the week 
is going to be like Spanish style. And it's like, we're going to hit a ton of balls. We're going to do a ton of feeding. And I think there's value in that, obviously, just from, I mean, there's tons of reasons, but I think one of them too, is it just allows you to like work on situations that you can't work on in a live ball setting and that maybe you wouldn't work on otherwise. It's yeah. like, hey, we're going to practice our short, you know, short angle passing shots. It's like, when's the last time we hit one of those? You know what I mean? Like just stuff like yeah. that. So yeah. then one day and then one day is like skills and we work on little touch shots and little things like that. All those, you know, and not just that, of course, but, you know, mm-hmm. like a more emphasis on that. And then, of course, specific is the day when you're actually working on the things that you need to do to get better and win more matches uh, yeah. in the in the short term. And then uh, what are the, uh, suffering, you know, is 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 a, the section of the week where you're like you challenge the, the mental grit and, and resiliency yeah. sort of thing. Um, cool, like I said, please, please, cool. please don't. Yeah, I was gonna say, anyone listening, please, if you think it's bullshit, don't tell me because uh, I haven't, I haven't flushed it out yet, but or flushed yeah. it out yet, but, um, but all my point was is, is this idea of like, can you maybe then because likewise, I get into it's not the same exact same idea, but I get into grooves where I go like, oh yeah, yeah I'm coaching, I'm coaching, I'm coaching, and then I realize like, man, it's been you know two weeks since I've done this, or oh man, it's been forever since I did that, and it's like crap, yeah. like I've yeah. got to you know, so like I was thinking of this idea of like programming in to say like every week is going to contain this percent of this this percent of that this percent of that it doesn't have to be on this specific day it doesn't have to be a specific time but just making sure as a general rule of thumb that i i tick all these boxes in a given week to make sure that i'm not missing anything and it could be the same thing in your case where you sit there and say like one you know one week out of every four we mix it up or one or even one week out of every 12 we were bringing in where the whole week is going to be different we're bringing in a different coach we're bringing in we're doing different types of fitness we're doing different you know whatever it is um, but, but sort of programming it in to go like, yeah, it's, we're going to make sure, you know, I've calculated that things start to feel stale after this amount of time. So this is, you know, this is the interval that I need to keep things fresh and boom, th- this is going to happen that way. Dude, this is why I love these conversations. Cause that's a really bright idea. Uh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I am actually going to like mandate at, at the club now and it doesn't have to be all the time, but maybe once every six months, it's like a week, somebody else leads something. That's really cool. I like that. And I yeah. think, oh, awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad it, uh, it's beneficial. I mean, that's just because, yeah, that's just the way that I think I operate best is when things are on a schedule and decided for me, because otherwise, uh, you know, I used to have to do that with like doubles trainings. I had to like schedule it and I'd go like, we're going to do doubles. Cause otherwise I, if it got to the day, I'd be like, oh yeah, but you know, we've got this tournament coming up and I really want to make sure we do that's like, yeah, and then it just, it wouldn't happen. I was like, nope. We do doubles at this frequency. It's on this day. It's happening. Done. Yeah. And then it I just mean, keeps what, you keeps you honest. That's what we do in our schedule. We have Sunday. Sunday is our doubles day where regardless of what happens, we're training two hours of doubles. And it, it helps that like well, that was how the, that was how God intended it in the Bible. So yeah, for sure. <laughs> it helps in the evening too. They every most of our kids have a uh, a men's league or a, a, a men's league match. Um, I work with a lot of boys. His heads up. Jordan's group has a lot of a lot of girls in it. But um. The last thing I have for you, because you mentioned percentage of stuff, and I thought about speaking of now, like crazy theories. I thought about this theory a lot when I was younger, and I don't think it holds up, but I'm going to I'm going to throw it at you where. Let's say we're working with an athlete and we chart a, a bunch of their matches and you can look at like all the points that somebody somebody wins in a match. So I'm I'm working with Zach and Zach won 20 percent of his points because of his first serve. And then Zach won, let's say, I don't know, 50 percent of his points because um the direction of his forehand when he was building was so strong. And we go down the list and say like, these are all the reasons why we won points. These are all the reasons why we lost points and break them down mm-hmm. to percentages and having like those actual percentages of like what's happening in a match. What if you took those percentages into the training and trained, trained those percentages um, in your training? 
So like, mm -hmm. okay, if you're winning 20% of your points on first serve, then 20% of your training is going to continue to be on first serve. Or if you're losing so-and-so percent on whatever, then 20% is going to be this. And I don't know why I thought about this when I was like 19. Um, and even now, as I'm saying, it's like, <laughs> this doesn't hold up. <laughs> <laughs> Regretting it already? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Um, my, I mean, my counterpoint, of course, would be like, if someone's winning 20% of their points because of their first serve, you could sit there and go like, well, I know that players of his age and level or whatever are able to win 30% of points on their, because their first serve. So then does that mean we should be training it more to, you know, like that would be the argument, right? Of course, is that like the things that are on par or at the standard, need less attention oh, and the yeah. things that are have the have the greatest room for improvement then need more attention well congratulations zach you just debunked a 19 year old theory of mine in uh, <laughs> 30 seconds good job <laughs> well i i feel bad because i think like i don't know i, I you know, larry used to talk about the belgians and like this super number centric approach where and i don't know how accurate it was or if it you know how representative it was of their approach and of course it's years and years ago but like this idea that everything was measured and we know how many forehands we've hit and how many backhands we've hit and how many serves and how many balls out of the middle and all this yeah. stuff um and, and i mean i think it's it's interesting one of the things that i wish we had more data on i'd love at some point uh you know like you know <laughs> once i've once i've hit all my uh player development goals and then coach development goals and then i've got nothing else to do i'd love to like uh run some sort of uh research study and just a huge data gathering experiment like take you know take 100 players over 15 years and just gather like how many hours of practice did they do what type of practice how many balls hit what was the coaching style like just gather all this information and see if anything can be anything can be gathered from it it'd be yeah. a massive undertaking obviously and and perhaps not even feasible but um but yeah i wish we had more data on on those sorts of things because uh yeah i mean as i as i alluded to like we like we have a a partnership with an academy in spain and i and I've been over there a couple of times for, uh, for practices with our players and awesome. it's, uh, and, and, and I've never, you know, and, and it's funny cause I'm sitting there going like, holy crap, like they've hit zero returns. You know, it's like they've barely hit any serves. And it's like, I'm sitting there going like, really? So like all that, but all that to say that like, yeah, like some, yeah, everyone has a different way of doing things. And some places are yeah. going to put way more emphasis on one thing than another thing. Yeah. And in, in different quantities, and but i think and this goes back a little bit to what we were saying last week about like knowing versus doing i think that is really a key part of coaching too is like two coaches can have the can be in complete agreement they sit down and they talk and they go oh i really think it's important to develop uh i really think it's important to develop like uh, continental grip skills with uh under tens and like volley skills and stuff and uh you know whatever and they go yeah yeah, yeah me too and one of them is spending two minutes per session on it just at the start little warm up and the other guy spending 30 minutes per session and they yeah. both have the exact same you know belief but yep. it's being manifested completely differently so anyway i i think that's why i think that's why you know we need to have more of those discussions as coaches is not about not so much about the theory but how we actually implement it but going back to what you're saying um yeah i mean i think there's there's a lot of interesting thinking to do about like how we allocate our time um on court but i'm not so sure that your uh, your approach was the best one <laughs> percentages of the future zaki well yeah. yeah well you know something like yeah. that yeah
All right. Is your Ben Shelton thing, uh, you know, uh, one minute or 10 minutes? Mm, yeah, no, it's longer. It's longer. So that'll be a nice little tease for the next time. Get but. Yeah. Stay tuned, folks. Al has a controversial opinion about Ben Shelton. Yeah. Yeah. Sure do. Stay tuned. All right. All right, Zachy. Uh, Good luck, man. That was the great zone. Thanks for listening. See you.